it's lovely to be here. My name is Richard. For those uh, of you I haven't met, I'm looking very much looking forward to meeting you all over these next few weeks and months. Uh, I moved with my wife Vicky and children Barnabas and Anastasia to Hazelmere last summer, and it's been a great joy to worship here and uh, slowly but surely get to know more and more people. And it's lovely to speak to you today. And uh, we're kicking off um, a new series, a summer series entitled Becoming Like Jesus. And um, just want to begin, I tell you, uh, I think, an amusing story concerning, concerning me. So um, one of my uh, secrets is that I actually have been ordained for 20 years in the Church of England. I know it's impossible to think that. I don't look like an Anglican vicar at all. Uh, no sandals, no beard, uh, but I have been. And um, one of the great uh, privileges of, of my life over the last 20 years is an involvement in a mission in India, in South India. And I've been 25 times now to Tamil Nadu. And uh, I, this is the first year in 21 years that I don't think I will make it there. I managed to get there just before the pandemic, actually, in February last year. And it's an amazing, uh, wonderful Christian mission. And a few years ago, I was traveling there, and I got on the plane, and uh, the purser came up to me, and he said, Reverend Lloyd, he said, we've got two seats for you in club class today. So I, I was very surprised. I said, two seats? I said, he said, yes, one for you and one for your bag. So I thought, that's extremely generous of you. So anyhow, I went all the way up from the back of the plane. I was row 48, I think, all the way up to about sort of row number five. And there were two seats, one for me, one for my case. Well, just before the plane was due to leave, uh, this man ran onto the plane late, and uh, he was taken to his seat, a uh, row or two from mine, and um, he said in a very loud voice to the person, I don't like this seat, he said. I want to sit in that one over there, pointing at the seat on which my case had been placed. So um, the person came and said, uh, sorry, Reverend Lord, do you mind if uh, this gentleman sits next to you? I said, oh, it's no problem at all. Anyhow, he came and he sat down and he said, so why are you going to India then? Uh, and I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm involved in a, a mission out there. He said, what are you, a priest or something? I said, oh, I am actually. And he said, well, what are you doing sitting here? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're in club class. You should be at the back of the plane. I said, oh, I said, I was at the back of the plane. I said, but then they gave me the seat. For free, isn't that amazing? And he said, oh, he said, I can't stand that, you know. Those of us who pay full price for these seats and then you get upgraded free of charge. He said, you shouldn't be here, he said. You should be at the back. You should be identifying with the people at the back of the plane, not enjoying all the luxury at the front. So this was getting quite embarrassing, actually, because I don't know if you've ever been in club class. It's quite small and people were looking and staring and I didn't know what to say. And then suddenly I had a thought... And I think very rarely do I get a thought directly from God, but I felt this one was. I felt God say, actually, it's your Christian duty to accept this upgrade because the Christian faith is all about receiving free gifts. So I said to him, actually, do you know, I think it's my Christian duty to receive this upgrade because the Christian faith is all about receiving free gifts. And he turned to me and said, I don't believe in God. I nearly said I could tell, but I didn't. <laughs> and... I said to him, don't worry, we've got nine hours, we can talk about it. <laughs> Anyhow, it was a very interesting flight. But it illustrates the central theme of today's sermon, which is the theme grace. If we to find one word that captures, that sums up the Christian faith, it is the word grace. And it means, to me at least, it means the undeserved, the unmerited free gift of God's love for each and every one of us. 
Now, a definition of grace that I have found so helpful comes from a well-known Christian writer called Philip Yancey. And uh, he says this, and I think it's going to come up on the screen if we change to the next slide. He says this, There is nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. I think that's a beautiful definition of grace. God loves us. It's nothing to do with how we've lived our life. It's nothing to do with the choices we've made. God loves us, and there is nothing that can change that. Do you know, it was wonderful hearing that little sketch from Tara and Holly about the importance of mental health. And, you know, for, for me, what transforms our mental health is a belief in grace. I'm so passionate as a Christian for people to know that God loves them regardless of their situation, regardless of their past or their present. God loves them. And if we know that, if we know that right at the foundation of the meaning of life is God's deep love for you and me, it transforms our mental health. So it was great to hear that message from Tara and Holly. So our summer series is entitled Becoming Like Jesus. And this is really an introduction. And grace is an introduction to this series on Becoming Like Jesus. So we've got lots of great themes that we're going to be exploring. Forgiveness, reconciliation, community, compassion. And they're all dimensions, different dimensions of this overarching concept of grace, which encapsulates, it captures, it sums up our Christian faith. It describes Jesus' ministry and his life in a word, if you like. And as I've been thinking about grace, I was thinking about the different aspects of Jesus' life on earth. And every single part of his life was infused by grace. Think of his birth, that wonderful announcement of the angels to the shepherds. Today a saviour has been born. God's salvation is a core element of his grace. If we think of his life and ministry, we're going to be looking at a passage in a moment um, which demonstrates the grace of which Jesus lived, with which he dealt with people, the way that he welcomed all people regardless of their circumstances. We could think of Jesus' death. I'm so moved by those words that Jesus spoke on the cross. Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they're doing. Just as they were nailing his hands to a cross. Isn't that amazing? Grace, words of grace spoken at that moment of crucifixion. And then I think of the resurrection, uh, this good news of new life for all. Jesus said just before he ascended to heaven to his disciples, he appeared to them and he said, you go and be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and to all the world, witnesses of this grace. So as you look at every aspect of Jesus' life, as we consider becoming like Jesus, we see that grace runs through every part. So our passage today is a really moving account from Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, It's Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. I'm going to read it. And um, I think there are three aspects of grace that arise from this account. Now we've got a few um, children here, and for older children, I did actually put together, it looks like homework, for which I'm very sorry, uh, but I did put together a little sheet, and um, if you want to have a look at that sheet, there are just a few questions that um, overlap with what I'm sharing, and if you want to have a look at them uh, and answer them, you can. If if you want to share your answers later, that would be fantastic. Anyhow, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. This is what Luke writes. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. 
As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has never stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So we consider this passage. Shall we just bow our heads and I'll pray for us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the power of scripture. And we pray that you will speak to us and renew us afresh as we hear your words. In Jesus' name we pray. So three aspects of grace briefly from this reading. First of all, grace is offered to all. Grace is offered to all. One very striking aspect of Jesus' ministry is the way that he welcomed all. And here we see him in the house of a Pharisee, so somebody who was very learned, somebody who would have been wealthy, somebody who would have had a very, very good reputation. And at the same time, there is somebody in this house, and it seems a bit strange, doesn't it? Somebody uninvited, uh, a sinful woman. She is described and she is there as well um, it's amazing how jesus bridges the gulf isn't it uh, between the privileged the wealthy and those who are outcast and um, it seemed actually um, at this time it was not uncommon for people who were having dinner parties having gatherings to have those um, uh, kind of at touching distance who, who were not invited that seems to uh, have been an element of the society then but Jesus is a friend of sinners. That becomes very, very clear through this passage. And actually, if we read the Gospels, we find so many examples of Jesus being a friend of sinners. He, he calls tax collectors to follow him. They were outcasts. He's a, a friend of sinful people. And actually, if you look back a few verses in this uh, passage, just uh, two verses before this account, we read uh, this criticism of Jesus uh, that um, he is often seen as the son of man who has come eating and drinking um, as a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That was the criticism that so many people, and probably the Pharisees chief among them, made of Jesus. Uh, Jesus illustrates that criticism. He underlines it in this next passage because he welcomes uh, the devotion of this sinful woman. And I'm struck by this sinful woman. I'm struck by the humility she shows. She, she, she's weeping. Her tears are an illustration of her humility, of, of her, the recognition of the sinfulness in her life. 
And we also notice the devotion that she has towards Jesus, the way that she kisses Jesus' feet, the way that she anoints him with this perfume. So grace is offered to all. There are no bars. There are no exceptions. It's that wonderful verse that Paul would write a few years later, that no one is cut off from the love of God. And no one is separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. One of the things I was struck by at um, the funeral of Prince Philip yesterday, but also reading so much about his life, uh, much I knew, but there was quite a lot I didn't know. But he obviously had this incredible ability to connect and relate to people right across um, social divides, right across the spectrum of, of life. Um, and uh, he wasn't somebody who was just concerned with those right at the top. In fact, it seems like he often connected better with those who weren't particularly recognized, those who were on the margins. Uh, and certainly that's something that we really notice about Jesus' life. In a way um, different from any other human being, he was able to relate and demonstrate God's concern and love for the Pharisee and for the sinful person at the same time, in the same place. Grace is offered to all. So a little challenge on this first point for us, I think, is do we offer grace to all? Are all people welcome in our church? Do, do, do we, are, are we as people open to those who are very different, those who might be considered sinful in our context and in our culture today? Because Jesus didn't erect any barriers with those who might have been perceived sinful, those who are on the margins or even excluded from mainstream society. I think that's quite a challenge for us to ask ourselves, and certainly um, as a church um, and as churches throughout the UK, it's such an important challenge to continue to consider. So grace is offered to all. The second aspect of grace um, that I notice in this passage are the words of Jesus. Grace is being forgiven much, and loving much. Grace is being forgiven much and loving much. So the Pharisee criticizes Jesus for accepting the devotion of this sinful woman, for accepting her wiping his feet with her hair, accepting her anointing of Jesus with perfume. And the Pharisee says, if this Man is a prophet. Surely he would not accept this devotion from such a woman. Well, Jesus replies with a parable. The parable of the unlikely moneylender. I don't think any of us have met a moneylender like this, have we? Uh, anyhow, this is what Jesus says um, in verse 40 of our passage. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And the illustration here, the point that Jesus is making is the more someone receives forgiveness, the more they have the capacity to love, to show forgiveness to others and to love others. And he then goes on and he contrasts the two main characters here, the sinful woman and the Pharisee. The sinful woman is weeping. She is humble. She knows that there is much in her life that is not right. She knows that she has done many things that are sinful in the eyes of God. She knows she needs forgiveness. And I'm sure that is why she is approaching Jesus. She wants to be forgiven. She wants to be cleansed. She wants to start 
anew. She has that humility. And that humility then is expressed in her devotion to Jesus, the one who can set her free from her sinful past. And notice how she anoints Jesus. And some of you will know that um, the word Messiah, the title given to Jesus, means anointed one. So she had an amazing theological insight, because I don't think this was just devotion. I think she was actually making the point, this is the Messiah. She was anointing Jesus. Um, she had extraordinary theological perception that the Pharisee didn't have at all at this point. She thought, well, maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's not a prophet. But the sinful woman anointed Jesus and declared he is the Messiah. So we compare the woman with a Pharisee. The Pharisee said totally different. He's judgmental. He's looking down on this woman. He's embarrassed that this woman is showing such devotion to Jesus. He's even questioning Jesus' authority and Jesus' identity because of Jesus' acceptance of this woman's devotion. So he's judgmental. I think with judgmentalism comes pride. He thinks he's better than the woman. And Jesus then points out that in contrast to the woman, the Pharisees actually neglected some core aspects of kind of etiquette and hospitality at the time. The Pharisee never offered to wash his feet. The Pharisee never gave him a kiss of welcome. The Pharisee didn't anoint him. Did you see those two key characters contrasted? And so what's the challenge for us here? Well, the challenge for us is that if we want to be people of great love, we need to receive constantly the forgiveness of God. And if we are to receive the forgiveness of God, we need to be humble. We need to acknowledge our wrongdoing. We need to ask God for his forgiveness. We need to follow the example of this woman. And if we humbly receive the forgiveness of God, not only will we show huge love and devotion to God, but also to one another. So that's the challenge. How humble are we? How do do we acknowledge our need for forgiveness? Will we receive God's forgiveness and allow him to fill our hearts with his love so that we can live lives of devotion to him and to others. So grace, secondly, is being forgiven much and loving much. And third and finally, grace is by faith. So at the end of this passage, Jesus says to the sinful woman, your sins are forgiven. Other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? That's familiar because that happens a few times, doesn't it, in Jesus' ministry. They don't even understand at this point his identity because it's only God who can forgive sins. And then Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this is a direct claim to divinity. Jesus claims to be God by forgiving sins. But grace is by faith. Your faith has saved you, Jesus says. Go in peace. It's interesting. I was reading some commentaries about this passage this week. And there are some scholars who still states that they think that the woman was forgiven because she showed devotion and love to Jesus. So they kind of say that grace is conditional. If you show that kind of devotion, if you show that kind of love, then you will be forgiven. But that's not what Jesus is saying here at all. It's not the woman's actions that lead to her being forgiven. It's her faith in Jesus. And I think it is so easy to drift into a very worldly way of thinking where we think it's actually up to us to earn favour. It's up to us to be good enough to be forgiven 
And that, that, that would be the way most people outside the church think. It's the kind of way of the world, you know, you get what you deserve type thing. That's not what's happening here at all. No, it's not because the woman is a model of faith, which in many ways she is in this particular episode. It's because she has faith in Jesus. She has expressed that faith that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who can forgive her and who can renew her. So grace is by faith. Grace cannot be earned. Just take you back to that quote. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more. There is nothing we can do to make God love us less. We cannot earn God's grace. God's grace is freely given and he longs to fill it into our hearts. And all we need to do is have faith, have the humility of the woman, acknowledge our need and receive from him. I just want to finish with a a story that I normally can't tell without weeping. So I'm sorry if I do weep. But it, and I think it's a true story. Philip Yancey tells it in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, which I really recommend. If you want to delve more into this foundational belief in grace, then that, that's a great book, What's So Amazing About Grace. And he tells this story. Some people say there's no record of it, actually, um, in history. But it goes back to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa about um, 20 years ago, I suppose. And um, there's this amazing account Sorry. Uh, I will compose myself. There's an amazing account of a, a woman whose husband and son were brutally murdered by a police officer, a white police officer. And at the trial, the police officer admits his liability for these murders. And I think as was the pattern during this commission, the widow is asked what she would like to be done for justice in this case. And she says three things. She says, first of all, I would like to be taken back to the place where my husband and son were killed so I can gather up their ashes because their bodies were burnt. Secondly, she said, I would like the police officer, his name was Van der Brock apparently, I would like him to come for lunch. come to my house for lunch on Sunday twice a month I don't know why I tell this story because I can't and she said thirdly I I want him to know that God forgives him and that he's loved by God Apparently there were people in the courtroom from her church, this woman's church, and quietly one started to sing Amazing Grace and others joined in. I share that just because I think that woman illustrates these three core aspects of grace. Grace is offered to all, even the racist police officer and they really are in our current culture actually aren't they the ones who are beyond the pale but grace is offered to them grace is being forgiven much so you can love much the love of that widow it's incredible and grace is by faith 
She's able to love because she has faith in the grace of God for all. I want to thank Nick and Catherine for their lovely testimony about Alpha. And uh, just um, encourage anyone who's not done Alpha here, or anyone here who has um, a neighbor, a friend, a member of your family who hasn't done Alpha, invite them this Wednesday so they can hear more about grace. This is the greatest way that people can come to understand the grace of God for them. And um, could you please pray, pray for this online Alpha? We'd love to have, welcome lots of people. So please pray for it. Please invite people. It's never too late. Even this time next week it's not too late because they can join on week two. Uh, and it's so easy. So go online and invite them. And um, may more and more people, we, we pray in this area, come to know God's grace. Amen.